Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Atlanta podcast. I'm your host, Mappy Davis, and welcome to another episode on today's show, Vince Zangaro. Tell you a little bit more about him in a moment. Want to say that I'm excited to bring this to you. Been recording a bunch of episodes lately. They'll be coming to you in the coming weeks. If you've been following the social, you saw I just had Big Mike on. Big Mike, who happens to work very closely with Puddle's Pity Party, which many of you are familiar with from America's Got Talent and Around Town and all the bands uh, Big Mike has been with over the years. And we had an almost two-hour chat yesterday, so that's going to be up soon. Uh, but today we want to bring you Vince, who I met because he is the uh, founder and producer of the Alzheimer's Music Fest, which is actually coming up February 4th. That's next weekend at Buckhead Theater, headlined by Arrested Development, Cowboy Mouth, and Cracker, also, Gurufish, his bands and Garo and a bunch of others. And the proceeds do go to a great cause. We'll link in the show how to buy tickets. But you can also just Google uh, Atlanta Alzheimer's Music Fest. But we're going to learn a lot about Vince and uh, his life in Atlanta and what led to the birth of this show and then how it's been going for the last decade. So let's just jump right to it. Uh, me and Vince, this is just the other day. I recorded actually up at Fodak, uh, where he works. Uh, Fodak is the Friends of Disabled Adults and Children. Let's get to it. Away we go. Cool, man. So we'll start uh, with the easy one. What uh, what town did you grow up in? Um, I actually grew up in Marietta, Georgia, um, bypassing Miami and New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> South Jersey. <laughs> Did I ask you where you went to high school? Um, no, you haven't. I went to high school um, at Sprayberry, then um, Oakwood, <laughs> then Adult Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't the best student in the world. No, so I, I kind of barely avoided that thing. So I went to Wheeler, and it's funny. I got caught. I got caught drinking at a football game, and I had to go to like they had. A, I forgot what the name of the program was, but you had to go. And, like, you had to bring your mom one day, and it was the worst fucking thing. Because it was all the fucking, like, you know, it was all the potheads and everything and me. And my mom was just like, what are we fucking doing here? Because I just didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I've always kind of looked this way, like, relatively clean cut. But mm-hmm. I just, I could not have given a fuck about school. Like, I wasn't, I didn't find weed till later <laughs> in my right. life. But I was telling you, you know, the first thing you said was like, oh, did you... You say, oh, like you mentioned like Third Street or Grumpies or like I hadn't heard those names in like 30 years. I don't even remember those names. What did you what did you say to me? You mentioned some bar from like 1990. Um, What, like Rec Room? Rec Room, yeah. yeah. Rec Room and all that. Yeah, Rec Room we played at a lot when I was a kid. Right. So that was kind of like where in the 90s, um, you know, at that time it was very much original music. And so all of us really had a chance to kind of um, hone our craft when we were younger and... I think I was like 16 playing the rec room, which a lot of my bandmates, I still don't, but it wasn't all ages. I think it was still all ages, but some for some reason they served me beer at that time, so I don't know. Right. I feel like that those other two places I mentioned, it was like, it was kind of understood. Like if you're 18, that was kind of old enough. You don't remember Third Street or Grumpy's? Those were all... No, we kind of did. You know, we went into playing, of course, you know, the high school battle of the bands right. and like the pizza joints that everybody would hang out at. And then we went, um, we got a pretty big following. Um, and we went and started doing the rec room and then, um, got, we got a management label, um, that was with like stuck mojo. And, um, at that time they were called body and soul and stuck mojo, of course, turned, um, some of them turned into Fozzie, right. Rich Ward and all those guys. And then, 
um, body and soul turned into seven dust. Right. And so, yeah, we were pretty young around those guys, even though they were probably only about three, four years my senior. But, um, but yeah, so it was pretty fun to kind of spread our rings. And next thing you know, we're doing shows all the time at Rec Room. And then this guy, Mark Willis from Live Nation that managed Stuck Mojo was like, hey, you want to start playing the Roxy and Cotton Club and International Ballroom and all these things. And we just went and took off for a while and started doing it. And at that point in your life, did you think like, oh, like this is it. I'm on my way to rock and roll dreams. Of course I did. That's That was the plan. You know, that's the only thing I wanted to do since I was, you know, in fourth grade. Um faking playing guitar buying my first willie nelson guitar from toys r us <laughs> probably had like i wouldn't even say they had nylon strings on it i think maybe it was like a little bit better than rubber bands on that thing right um, but yeah so that was always kind of the plan was the you know i could write um not that great at that time but i could just make stuff up in my head and sing over my guitar player and just go for it and that was always the that was always the dream and who, what were the first, like the first albums, like fourth grade? What do you remember, like listening to on the turntable? Uh, Prince, Little Red Corvette, I still remember. <laughs> and of course, a lot of old music that my parents, um, that I still love, older music that I love to this day, of course. But um, like Neil Diamond and of course the Beatles and Rolling Stones and Elvis and all that stuff. But, um, you know, then it really, you know, just... You know, I still remember my mom taking that album away from me, Little Red Corvette, because she figured out what the song meant. Right. Well, Darling Nikki was usually the one that got the kids in trouble. Yeah, well, my mom did not like Little Red Corvette when she realized it wasn't about a Little Red Corvette. <laughs> I mean, I remember we were, God, whatever age we were, you know, in that first line is like, has the word masturbating, and we're like, oh! reason <laughs> masturbating with a magazine like right. you, know, you can't fucking believe that someone would say that at 14 or 15 or what year did you graduate i feel like we're the same um age. well i wouldn't call it i got my ged of course <laughs> <laughs> i have moved around a little bit there because again i was into music and that's what i wanted to do so that's where i focused a lot on and back when i grew up you know we didn't do a lot of hard drugs you know or i did it was always like you know acid shrooms and pot you know we were like trying to relive the hippie days right um i was anyway in that time, hacky sack, you know, flip flops and tie dyes, you know, that's kind of what we did. And, um, but what'd you say again? What was that? What year did you graduate? Uh, quote, quote? Probably been around 94, 95. Okay. So you're just a couple years younger than me. Yeah. I'm like 47. So whatever that is. Uh, well, usually, but the kids that did that, that did the hacky sack were less rock and more like dead and fish. Which is kind of weird because I'm not, you know, I, I respect jam bands a lot. Um, you know, I respect, you know, Mo and Ween and um, these amazing bands, but I, I've never really been into, like, let's go to a festival for four days. Right. And, you know, go just not, was not really my gig. I was always searching for a song. And um, these bands are amazingly talented. And just when you see them live, they blow you away. And I'm a huge, you know, Dave Matthews fan. And he kind of gave me that, that line in between, here's a really well-written song and this musicianship, and then, oh, we're going to jam on it for like 10, 15 minutes, and that right. kind of gave me my, ooh, I like this kind of music. Because, you know, after, you know, like the Prince and the, you know, Michael Jacksons and all that stuff you were into when you were a kid, you know, my, my sister got me into all the butt rock stuff and the glam music, and so, you know, you went into like Motley Crue <laughs> and all that kind of crazy stuff, then you get into Metallica, Judas Priest, and you go back. 
And then next thing you know, um, the 90s came out, and you had such good music, man, like Pearl Jam, Smash and Pump. Right. Alice in Chains is still one of my favorite. Right. Have you been listening to the new 99X? Uh, oh, I was just telling you. I was just sitting here kind of going back and forth with 99X. Yeah. Um, they've been really great to us. I think they've only been, what, back around for about a month and a half, I think. Right. And um, they've been really amazing with us, man. I mean, um, we just had um, Arrested Development and Cracker. On there the other day promoting the fest. The Cowboy Mouth was on a few days later promoting the fest. And now we're going to be doing a lot of things with them up to the next two weeks, up to the fest. It was kind of serendipitous that I had all these 90s bands on. Right. And we didn't plan it this way. It was just bands I really like and I've worked with many times before, except for Cowboy Mouth, which are seeming to be great guys and easy to work with. And um so yeah, just kind of serendipity happens. So I think we're going to have a nice long partnership with 99. That's awesome. Years to come. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I I'm interested to see how this goes though because you know, all of us love that music, mm-hmm. all of us that are of that age and that you know, they often say that like everything is your favorite. Whatever you really loved at 12 or 13, like movies, music, that cast of Saturday Night Live, like that's kind of who you're locked into, right? right. But nowadays, I I could also like go to Spotify and say '90s or '90s rock or midnight or whatever, and so I'm interested to see from a radio perspective like how long it might last. Well, you know what I think more about it is is you know I was talking to someone the other day about it is where you know when I grew up it was like I think '96 rock was like the classic rock station, right? Um, for maybe you know the baby boomers, if you will, right? And Gen X hasn't really had. A classic rock station. It's weird that I'm even saying classic rock because I still don't look at myself as 47 sometimes. Right. Um, but that's our classic rock station. I don't think it's going anywhere, man. And now if you see all the youth, they're all trying to dress like the 90s again. And they're getting in like from all those shows like Stranger Things are playing 90 tunes everywhere. So now they're getting into it. So right. it's kind of like that where they say it recycles itself every you know, two decades, you start saying that it's kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, uh, like you mentioned, like, like, like Brett Michaels is doing like his own cruise, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, let's get three or four of these bands together. And I think we said this when I was on the phone with you, like, uh, when we were growing up, it was the temps and the tops, right? Remember like they'd play Chastain. I don't, I don't really know that too much. <laughs> well, so like the temptations, right? Oh, four the tops, temp- uh, the four temptations, tops. And the, like that was fifties music and right. that was the oldies tours. Yeah. So to think that those guys were probably our age now, but right. they seemed a hundred and now for our bands to like, I was like the temps and tops. Oh no, I got what you're saying. Yeah. The temptations. <laughs> yeah. Of the four, Cause it was like, Hey, the temps and the tops are playing after the Braves game right. or at fucking Chastain or like, I probably saw a few of those shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so at the time it seemed like ancient, but you know, I guess like rock and roll is just not that old. Like we're, we're, we're still, when we were coming up, those albums were, you know, like Zed Zeppelin was only 10 years before. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're looking at it and you know what I've, Kind of like, I remember going to shows where it was like, gosh, I can't remember the name of the show, but like Judas Priest and Motorhead and, um, you know, Iron Maiden, you know, all playing together at these smaller festivals. And it wasn't even packed out, to be honest with you, for even kids my age. Right. It was like those musicians finding that music was a little bit older than the 90s music they were into. Right. Um, But now, you know, you never know what's going to go on with this stuff. Like, I mean, I still remember going to the first Lollapalooza. I went to the first Lollapalooza. Yeah, and it was pretty amazing. I was like, this is a movement. 
Right. You know, and it really was a movement. Um, maybe, you know, people won't agree with me, but you had the late 60s and 70s, and that was a movement, I think. Somewhere that, which I love 80s music now, but going to the 80s, I don't know if that necessarily was a movement, you right. know? And then, but the 90s was definitely a movement when it came to music. Like, so you felt like something was like happening. Something was happening. So when you were, when you were, uh, playing in the in the bands or do you think like i will just like i there's no way i could ever have a straight job again no man you know what's weird is you know i always have to be passionate about something you know even if you look at my amazing school career (laughs) um where i think i never even got out of like i think i made it to sophomore you know with enough credits and everything and then um but i always when i got passionate about something that i got passionate about you know then um you know, my band broke up. Lame story. The drummer slept with the guitar player's girlfriend. <laughs> That's how it goes. So freaking cliche. Um, and I love them, man. I'm still friends. I just saw them over Christmas, a lot of those guys, uh, my old band. And uh, some are living in L.A. and some are still here in Georgia. And then, you know, some people that I've played with back in the past are, you know, like Dave Cobb, who's like one of the biggest producers in Nashville now, which I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, not because he's anything, because now he's winning Grammy. He's just, you know, we just, I'm sure we'll run across each other path again because of what I'm doing lately with this stuff. But, um, but no, you just, you keep on going. And it was just, you know, I found a company called Hot Topic that recruited me because, you know, when you were 18, if you didn't go to college, you needed health insurance. So my parents were really stuck on that. They were always like, man, we want to support you in any way with your music. They saw us playing big shows. They were like, we really think you can make it. My dad was in the military. But you got to have health insurance. Right. So I started working in retail. That would you know, be the easiest gig I could find, like to get part-term, because you could be a part-time manager and get health insurance. Right. And next thing you know, I get recruited by this store that I never heard of called Hot Topic. And at that time, they only had like 20, 40 stores. Which, uh, which mall? Um, Town Center Mall. Okay. Yeah, and so over in Marietta. And I would call that Kennesaw, but okay. But well, it was Marietta back then. Before <laughs> Kennesaw, I mean, you know, I think they had like one building at that point, right. or whatever. Like right. That. I opened. Uh, I worked at. There was a uh, either an Office Max or an Office Depot. I think it was Office Max. And I remember I had a job there, like opening that store, or as somebody opening that store, uh, whatever year that fucking was. Like that's that's how new that the whole town center thing was happening, that that had just opened. Right. And, well, yeah, so, you know, Hot Topic came knocking on my door, and it was, like, literally this guy with, like, purple dreadlocks and all these people with tattoos, and um, and I had long hair and tattoos and piercings, so, of course, they were gravitated to me, and I was working, I think, at Jarman Shoes at that time, or Journeys, one of those, they were the same company, you know, the cool shoe stores, you know, <laughs> and, but they came knocking on my door, and I became a assistant manager, and next thing you know, Moved up to Troubleshooter, started traveling through the whole country, became a regional recruiter, um, had stock options because we went public, you know, and I was like, what's happening here? This is crazy, and it was all really music-based at that time. It wasn't it wasn't what it is today, you know, and it, it, it always is a shame where um, you do have a company like that where the main objective was to bring music to everybody, to bring basically your local head shop into the malls. Right. Um, but then they get more popular. You get more people on the board. They get greedy. They vote the founder off the board. Right, that's how it goes. And next thing you know, it's like the next Gadzooks or Spencer Gifts. You know what I mean? Right. But it was a great thing for me, man. That was Do those still exist? I don't know, man. You won't get me in a mall since I 
am. I'm not with Hot Topic anymore. You really won't. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I still got to do music, still got to be around it all the time. So anything, I was always gravitated to anything with music. I didn't care, just be creative. Right. And so when did that, when did that end? Um, that ended really right around my dad got Alzheimer's. Um, and that was what, 2004? Okay. So I was with them for 10 years and I was traveling every week and I was all over the country. I was, you know, helping recruit for like 50 stores a year just on my end. We were what was, but stores. what would you say recruiting? Just like going to malls and finding people to work? Like literally, yeah. We were opening so many stores. My job was literally to go in and um, cold call and go in and steal people from other stores that had tattoos that looked cool, that was into music. What a great job, man. Did they Did they think, though, like, did did, did you think these other places were like, hey, watch out for these guys coming in and stealing our people? No, they did. They got a, they got wind of it after we got bigger. I actually had a cease and assist order put on me from Pacific Sunwear. <laughs> Um, it was funny. The CEO called me and was like, Vince, I love that you're so good on your job, but you can't bug anybody from Pacific Sunwear anymore. There's a cease and assist order put on you from recruiting too much of their, or recruiting too many of those people. Right. So, because this is pre like internet, right? I mean, there was internet, but not today. Yeah, it was internet. just starting to get there where there was online presence with, you know, like those kind of trendy stores in the mall. And everything right. Like but that. like, you know, most people were like, if they did anything besides just walk in a store, it was like maybe Craigslist. Yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, something like, but yeah, it was, it was before the whole internet thing. And, you know, I even get stuck on it a little bit. Like I love, like we have a thrift store here at Fodak, Friends of Disabled Adults and Children. And I still love thrift stores. My wife and I still do the thrift store stuff. I love thrift stores. Right. That never changed. I've always been in the thrift stores and finding those finds, but just going in now I do, I hate to say it. I do a lot of my shopping off Amazon and I know that's crummy, but I think we've all kind of got stuck in that. Oh, order it online. Easy. I, I have a wife and three children. There's always something. <laughs> it's them. never for me. But I understand where people think it's kind of like becoming a, but I don't know if it's a monopoly, but whatever it is, I try not to get, you know, I think about it, but at the same time, it is convenient. It saves me a lot of time and time is precious. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I think 10 years ago, we probably thought retail was going away forever because things were starting to close. But I think there's certain things that'll always, I mean, yes, you can order groceries from Amazon, but people still like need to grocery shop. You need to run out and get X, Y, or Z. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to run out and get milk. You need to run out and get veggies or whatever it is. So I don't think, I think people that think like, well, we're never going to, it's going to become a hundred percent. I mean, clearly he did something right. Cause it is, we're all so used yeah. to it. And you know, it started off as a dang bookstore. Right. So basically. So, you know, you look at it, it's another thing. It's kind of like vinyl, you know, people still don't realize, you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but vinyl has never gone away. They think, Oh, vinyl just research. I'm like, no, vinyl has always been here. Oh, it just researched when hipsters started around. No. Vinyls, I'm a big vinyl guy. Right. Yeah. I, I do think that they sell more expensive record players now, though. Uh, they do. Well, because people like vinyl. And it's so funny, you would think that big thing would go away. CDs, they're not, you know, they're probably out. I still have CDs and I still listen to them. But, right. You know, it's just one of those things, but vinyls will be here to stay. So I kind of look at a vinyl, kind of like Amazon and other things. Like, there's certain things that will never go away. Like, you might not see that, you might see the indoor malls closing down, but dude, go look at that outlet mall down 575 going towards Woodstock, uh, right. Atlanta Outlet Mall. That thing's packed every single day. Right. Because you can just park a car, go to the store you want to go to, and Right. Well, and people want to have like an experience of like shit to do. Like, let's go to town center or let's go to wherever. Like we're right. going to shop here, get a coffee here. Like that's not, that's not going away. Well, I think, you know, it's the same thing and we can segue into music. You know, they think music's going away now. It's a lot harder to make a living. 
um, at music for these people that are coming up. I know as an original artist, I don't play covers. Um, very hard for me to do things, but also it gets you honed on, you know, what you're really into, like placements and other kind of things and doing festivals and me, which I'm a dementia, you know, Alzheimer's dementia advocate, really getting behind things like that. And so it veers you in different ways. I tell everybody, cause I get asked this now, they're like, you know, how did you do something in music? I'm like, well, first of all, it took me 12 years or, you know, more than that, because I've been doing it since I was 15. But really, when I started doing the festival, it took me 12 years to get that up and going. But um, but just find three, four different jobs that you're passionate about music. And just one of them will hopefully pay your bills. <laughs> and you can tend to do all the other things that you're passionate about. You that said that. three or four jobs? I'd say three or four jobs. Yeah, man. Like at once? Uh, no, in kind of the field. So say most of the people I know that are players and that really are true musicians, right? That um, even some of the older bands have had their day in the fame and they're touring. Dude, they're producing on the side. They're doing movie scores on the side. Right. Um, some of them are, you know, doing shows and events. They're promoters. They're doing, there's so many different things you can really do in music. I think it's just sometimes people get too focused on just being a rock star that you can really learn all these longevity with throughout this um, field that you're trying to, that you definitely, or you're so passionate about, but you want to succeed in, but you can't always rely that you're going to be the next rock star. That's just going to blow up and be honest with you. It's getting hard for everybody with streaming and everything to make any money off. Of. Right. Uh, so how did you, how did you get here? Um, well, you know, Oh, always chokes me up. Dad was, um, you know, diagnosed at 62, four years after my mom passed away of Alzheimer's and I was 29 and, you know, me and my dad weren't that close. Um, we were fine, but you know, I was a mama's boy and all that stuff. And, um, he was an Italian military guy and, you know, and it was just one of those things that when he, my mom was like, I, you really need to watch over him, you know, like you you know, he doesn't know how to write, really write a check or, you know, it was old school. My mom did it. He went to work. My mom did everything else. And so, you know, I got so frustrated when dad got sick and, you know, we started seeing the disease progress, um, that there was no help out there. Like with his insurance, I was so amazed cause he was a veteran and he actually retired from the government and the military and insurance wouldn't cover any respite care, any home care equipment, any medical needs, nothing. And I was like, how is that possible that they're not, I can't get anything right. to help them. And I started looking at other nonprofits and not saying they don't all do some decent work, but I was not happy with what I was seeing. I was like, how are these nonprofits coming in here? And they are making these salary points. Not saying you've got to live. I understand that, but some of them are really ridiculous when you're making millions of dollars a year. And that's many people higher up. Um, and I was like, and they're giving less than, you know, 40%, 30% to the community. And it's not going right back in the community. I just, I was just scratching my head. Like that just seems criminal, which it's not criminal. And that's where I was like, well, man, I know a lot of musicians. I still play music here and there. I'm like, and I'm not kidding. I was at 120 music hall and tavern and we're going to play a gig up there. And it's not there any longer. Um, and Marietta and, Nice little 300, you know, room right. over there that was there for a short stay. Um, and I was just in the bathroom, and I was just like, Alzheimer's Music Fest. I could just hit you. It just really hit me while I was peeing. <laughs> and, and my dad was out there. I was meeting with my manager at that time. 
and um, a producer friend of mine. And I was like, my first thing was like, I'm going to be, a, I know I can write. I'm going to be a rock star. So maybe I can afford to take care of my dad. That was like the first plan, like a naive, right. you know, 30 year old, 31 year old, because I couldn't do the work I used to do because I was having to take care of dad 24 seven, 24 hours a day. And, and we just did three in one year, man. And it wasn't a great success, but it was pretty successful. I mean, it was like right off the bat raising about 20 grand. With a, what, what year is this? Um, 2013. And, and you immediately knew like what, like three different cities or? Um, yeah, we did. Actually, we did Marietta, Georgia. We did um, Athens at the Foundry and then came right back and did another Atlanta one. At that time. And at that time, I was a little insane. I would have like <laughs> two stages, 25 bands oh, going wow. on in 10 hours. Right. And no one was getting paid. Right. I, you know, I didn't even realize how to run a festival. and But we were getting some killer people on like 5-8 played our first one over at, you know, in Atlanta <laughs> or Athens, I'm sorry. And then we had like the law band that was pretty popular and Glenn Phillips. Um, from, you know, Dirty Grace Hampton Pan and Colonel Bruce and all these guys and Tommy Tom from Cowboy. And we were just kind of like, then we had Cindy Wilson's kids play a couple of them. And it was like, and then we were starting to raise some money. And I'm like, and dude, we weren't spending anything. Right. I was like, we spent less than $2,000. Like, how can we? Grow we're just this? getting like the venue to donate and everybody yeah, to donate. Yeah, just getting everybody to donate all their time. And everybody, and if anybody knows the musician community, man, there's some... For people that really have to go out there and push to make a living at this, they're some of the most giving people you'll ever meet. Right. And they really are. It really is a community like no other. So when did you realize, like, okay, maybe maybe a two-day or maybe a two-stage massive 11-hour thing is too much? Um, it wasn't that it was too much. It was almost ridiculous. <laughs> because you weren't able to really get, you know, you're, you're in these smaller bars. These kind of like, you'd have 300 in the main, then you'd have the outside with another 200 and. You know, and they were great and they were fun, but I'm like, let's try to hone this in because I was so passionate about, you know, helping others and really passionate about getting the word out about my dad because a lot of people at my age, because again, when I was 29, my friends didn't really relate to having a father or even a mother that passed away and having a father of Alzheimer's. So I would actually lie to them a lot about stuff because I didn't want to go, oh, sorry, my dad's having a bad day and he's smearing crap all over the bathroom wall because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's hard to explain. I was very naive about the disease at that point. And so I was so passionate about getting the word out there and, and respite care was my first endeavor was, you know, getting free respite care to families. Right. Um, and I just, I just kept going and I just didn't stop. And I haven't stopped since I didn't care how many people told me, no, I didn't care how many people slammed the door on my face. I didn't care how many people didn't believe in it. Um, and I thought really funny or very naively, um, naive, but um, that because I called it Alzheimer's Music Fest, I wanted to cut people in the juggler vein like I do with my music, that everybody would show up. No, they didn't. They were like oh, weirded out by it, like Alzheimer's right. Music Fest. They were like, what's that? And so it really took a long time. Like I said, it was never a failure. It really always worked from the beginning, but it took a long time for people and awareness to get out there. Uh, because you think people just didn't understand the disease or didn't know someone with the disease? or I think people are scared of the disease. I think, um, it, you know, now you look 10 years, even, you know, 10 years later, it's getting more understanding. You're seeing it more in movies. You're seeing it more on TVs. It still truly doesn't represent wholeheartedly what, you know, you know, any form of dementia is and how there's so many different forms of dementia. 
um, you know, with whether it's Lewy Buddies, vascular, frontal lobe, Alzheimer's. All you know, dementia is the umbrella. Alzheimer's is just one of those under there. Right. And it's so different for every form of that disease and what people, it's pretty similar at the beginning, pretty similar at the end. The whole middle, if you met one person with the disease, you met one person. And people don't what, what, people So what are, are the different ways it, like, manifests or? Um, you know, with Dad, he... I got very lucky. He, every, you know, everybody, but I know most people go through a combative stage. And, you know, with Alzheimer's, again, it's different than Lewy bodies or vascular or frontal lobe dementia. Um, but Alzheimer's, you go through this gray area where you're still living in your past life and you're still come fading in and out and you're in this gray for a while before you switch over to this where you're living in moments. You're not remembering the past or future anymore. You're just living in the moments second by second. And during that gray period, um, dad got very, um, you know, a little aggressive, um, very temperamentic. Well, cause it would piss you off. Yeah. And he doesn't know what's going on. And at that time they would, um, give my dad a lot of these, um, antidepressants, which at that time you shouldn't be taking. They didn't know, but the doctors didn't know at that time. They'd be like, Oh, give him a clonopin. That'll show him out. No, he had a adverse reaction to that that made him crazy. Right. You know, give him a Xanax. It made him crazy. You know, this is very different. This is why I think a diagnosis is so important. But what happened is once I realized I was freaking out all the time with them and I was reacting. And if you know anybody that knows me now, it's very hard to get me to react because he really gave me that tool set of not to react, to really think before you react. So when I started kind of living in his world and that took many years and stopped him from living in my world. And, and, and I've heard that phrase before. What does that mean exactly? Um, that means don't try to don't get mad because they can't go out there a certain way in public, like live in their world, live in where they're at. Like if they're looking at the window and they're talking to themselves, live in it, talk to them. Don't go, dad, who are you talking to? Dad, that's not your sister. Or if he calls you or if he calls a friend, your mom, like go with it. Who cares? Don't try to fight it all the time. I know it's hard, but just go with it. You're not going to help by fighting it. You're going to stress out even more and it's going to progress even faster. Yeah, I mean, listen, so I'm 51, and when I hit 50, I feel like I started thinking about a lot of stuff that I hadn't thought about. But, I mean, we all have these, these you know, various times that, like, oh, I can't remember this or that or the other. But I definitely, like, I've no like, there is definitely a shift that has already happened that, like, grabbing someone's name is not quick for me, right? And it's scary shit, dude. Well, it's weird, you know, like, I've actually gotten chill of it. Through or a lot more chill through the year. Sorry, I've been up since three thirty in the morning. I've been it's fest time, so I've been working a lot. It's all right. Um, and so you know, it's one of those things that I just don't. You know, like even me, I probably have the genetic gene. We have it all over my family. I'm not kidding. Like out of my dad's brother had it, grandfather had it, two sisters had it. Um, it's all over the place in our family. We can't really track it past that. Because back then, they just thought people were crazy. They right. didn't even have a term for it at that time, right? <laughs> and um, But yeah, so I don't think about it too hard. You know, I'll take the genetic gene whenever it's free for me to take because I do work with some of these research companies and stuff like that. And they're like, there's no trials until you're like 50, which is pretty dumb because a lot of people I know start getting symptoms in their 30s and getting full-fledged Alzheimer's more than you think in their late 30s and 40s right more than you would think people don't realize that um but i would take it a minute but even like working with some of the people like at emory through the years and everything they're like vince 50 percent chance you got it right now if you take the gene test 50 percent, you're gonna get it really it's not gonna matter either way so don't try to focus so much on it right and so i try not to i plan for it don't get me wrong so how does one plan for it long-term health care 
you know, you, you got to realize what happened with the baby boomers in this country is they got promised pensions and insurance. <laughs> right. And, right. Social Security. Um, Social Security, and that's amazing. But they never told them that, hey, if you get any form of dementia, this stuff's not going to be covered. And you might go bankrupt. And your loved one's going to have to quit their job and take care of you. Or you're going to go into an assisted care or a memory care facility. So what I've done to prepare for that is, God bless, my wife came in, Amy, halfway through this with my father. And that was 14 years that we took care of them all at home. Never strayed a bit. Um, make sure that the burden is off on her a little bit and that I have enough for health care, all the things I need to stay at home. Right. So when did you... When did you end up working here though. Um, FODAC? Yeah. All right. So I've been working with FODAC now for, well, I've been working with FODAC for over, geez, eight, 10 years. Chris Brand and the CEO and me have been really good friends for um, a very long time. And I was working with, um, I worked with many nonprofits, um, LMK, Gary, one of my good friends, Gary passed away. So LMK is no longer with us and he helped me start the respite care program. And he was a big big person behind the respite care pro- program that really he was a true mentor to me and um his mother had alzheimer's and then um worked with amy's place caring together and hope pam passed away the passion behind it that's went away then met um whitney oltman who our dads were passing away from alzheimer's at the same time it was like almost a race um, <laughs> in the hospice it felt like um we became really good friends and started working and started, you know, she formed Dementia Spotlight Foundation. I came in, helped build it, brought in a couple more advocates. And um, they're still here. They do great work. Um, and then, but man, you know, I kept on talking to Chris and I'm seeing the scale. And you walked around a little bit today to see what we're doing over here. Right, it's massive. And and I'm, I'm not, let's just say I don't have patience because time is precious to me. And I do live in, I try to live in the moment. I'm like, we need to help more people and help more people. And when FODAC was really, you know, doing this large percentage of dementia families, I was like, we can make a huge difference over there. And they have such, because they've been here for 30 years now. Chris has been running it for over 20 years. And these are true people. They are on the ground. We're first responders, man. We're there. Right. And everybody in this place has a story, and you know, an advocate story. And they're there, and it's true passion. Right. And so... It, it would be difficult to work here and not... Yes. <laughs> really give a shit about what you're doing. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not working at the record store. No, no, it's, it's real stuff as you, you, you've seen a little bit today. Um, and so I just, you know, we've been talking for a while and I made the change and, um, and I'm so glad I did. I'm thankful every day because I just know that this company is going to be around a lot longer than I am. And, and also it's 90 over 90% towards the actual cause, which try to find another nonprofit that does over 90% towards the actual mission. Right. I feel like it's gotten a little better since there is like internet and people can call people out for this stuff. I feel like maybe in the nonprofit world, it's gotten a little better. better. There's good nonprofits out there, but really try to find, you know, your favorite nonprofit and see what the percentages are. Okay. Uh, And then the, so when you started working here, obviously they're going to be big supporters of the fest. They always have been. Yeah. For many years. Uh, and so for you doing it year in year out, is it, let's get a few similar bands, let's get a few new bands. Like how do you typically kind of approach it from that perspective? Man, I kind of just roll with it. You know, it's funny. (laughs) There's not really a master plan to it. So everything with the fest has just kind of went gradually, you know, like when we were doing it in Woodstock and we would take over mad life in their parking lot and 
everything. And I love Mad Life. They're good friends of mine, the owners of Mad Life in Woodstock. And because we moved it around a couple of times you know, with Eddie Owen over at Red Clay. And then, you know, we had to kept on growing, finding our spot. And, um, and then it just got bigger. And then finally, you know, you know, I got driving and crying, came and played it. And Brevin Horton Heat, and we were doing another one in Tampa um, once a year. And it just started growing. And I'm like, man, we outgrew. We, we got to move. So I started talking to some of the folks at Live Nation, um, you know, and I was like, well, first we booked at Tabernacle, then COVID hit. Well, that two years is a memory, right. I guess, or not a memory. I almost don't even know what happened that two years. Me either. Um, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, Cause I just got out of being so isolated from being a caregiver like a couple years and then COVID hits and I'm like, what? Now I'm back in isolation for like two years or a year and a half. And, um, and then we just kept growing. So we're at Buckhead theater now and I love Buckhead theater. I think it's a great venue. And I know a lot of comp- people complain about service charges on tickets. This is something I'm getting this year a lot. Um, it's not, and believe me, I get it. And believe me, I, I'm looking at ways to deal with that. Um, wholeheartedly I am, but dude, every ticket place is like that. It's not just Ticketmaster. It truly is like every place you buy a ticket online is going to be your 15, 20% surcharge. And, right. You know, it's not that I agree with it. I, I think don't. people's problem is like, just tell us what the fucking price is. You know, right. what I mean? that's the deal. That's like what kills you is when you, whether it's a sporting event or like I'm in the obstacle racing world, it's mm-hmm. like, you can't. Like if you if the if it says sixty eight dollars and then my checkout is eighty four dollars, it's like just say it's, it's ridiculous. Just no, say just it's seventy nine yeah. and then give me a five dollar charge for to run. The, I know somebody's got to press buttons and run a credit card and like I know it goes to something, but yeah, that's I think the part that kills. I mean, fuck the fucking. I didn't realize how bad I was getting ripped off on the AMC app because I was while I was buying movies for my kids. Mm-hmm. We go together. And one time I looked and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're saying the ticket costs seven ninety nine, and then the service charges five bucks. Then the app charges some other thing. I'm like, what are you doing to me? So yeah, just tell me what the fucking price is and I'll pay it. And well, I think you know, and I, I think you have a good point there. And to be honest with you, you know, it's something I have to look into and I have to figure out what that solution is going to be. But if you're saying what you're saying to your customers is like, listen, it doesn't matter who we use, right? Well, it doesn't, you know. But there are. Things out there that I've been researching, I don't want to talk about right now. Okay, uh, that's until fine. I announce it, but yeah, I, you know, I understand. But I know it's a problem, and I want to address it. But you know, this is why I do. You know, for I think for the what we do, um, having so many great bands on um, on February fourth, we try to price it right for you know sixty dollars. I think for you know all the bands we have on is a pretty decent general admission ticket. If you want to pay for the one fifty for the VIP, well. It's a pretty great experience, and right. I don't think you know Bruce Springsteen is paying down the road. Like I think you can't even get it for like two hundred and eighty dollars. I don't even know what the service charges is for a nosebleed on that one. Right. So I'm not comparing us to the Bruce Springsteen, but I'm right. saying you know you got to really look at it, man. And right. Everybody has to make a living in some way. It's not that I agree with it. I think there has to be easier ways to do it, and hopefully, what's uh, what's old Eddie Vedder doing? Remember he was going to fight the system twenty uh, years well, ago. They did fight the system, man. So you know, I think they still do it. I mean, I'm not friends with Eddie Vedder, so I have no idea. But he hasn't crawled by Pat. But I think they're still fighting the system in their own right, doing that. And they called it. They did call it. So it's something I guess I just got to look at now that we're bigger venues, and I've only been to these um, kind of fourteen hundred venues. So I'm learning as I go, also. Right. And I'm learning how to make a piece because, you know, the number one thing I get from people is like, is any of that Ticketmaster money going to you guys? No, but we're hardly paying anything for 
and you and we're getting all that sixty and it's going straight right. to families. So it's a great deal for us that we can get all that money to families. Right. I also feel like in especially online, it often is the loud minority too. Like plenty of people are like, Hey, it's a great cause, I'm down for it, I get it. And then the people that lose their minds are maybe people that weren't gonna buy tickets anyway. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you always have. You know, online's easy to bitch about everything. I mean, it just truly is. You know, right. It's kind of way. Like, I mean, and believe me, we, you know, we don't get much. To be honest with you, we're very fortunate that we've kind of, you know, people if they know Alzheimer's Music Fest, they kind of know that we've been around for a while and we're with a trusted nonprofit. And I work at the nonprofit as a community outreach and event director and. They understand what we do, and they know that I took care of my dad for a long time. I mean, it's all over the place, man. You can't really, you can't really fight that. But you know, the people that want to complain, I get it, and I'm sorry, and I'm looking into it, and that's all I can say right now. No, oh, I think that's the best. That's the best you can do. Yeah. Well, listen, I always like to ask some uh, Atlanta favorites questions. Uh, this is the Atlanta favorites quiz. There are no wrong answers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your go-to order at Waffle House? Um, bacon, egg, and cheese. Okay. What is your current favorite place to eat in Atlanta? You know what's funny is I just tried Zaxby's. <laughs> That's not an Atlanta restaurant. But I'm not kidding. I've never had Zaxby's before, and I had it for the first time, just a chicken figure thing the other day. And I was right. like, oh, I get it. Right. This is really stellar. Right. But for a, you know, a regular restaurant, I really, um, yeah, I really like... Um, Nuevas Amigas over um, near my house off of Sixes Road in um, Canton, Georgia. Okay. Uh, that is probably the first time a restaurant off Sixes Road has been mentioned yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, it's a really good one. I uh, like it. I interview a lot of in-town people, so they mention a lot of in-town places, yeah. but okay. Uh, Publix or Kroger? Publix. Why is that? Lunch meat. <laughs> deli. It's all about the deli. So that's all you got? Yeah, but Kroger's getting there, man. Kroger is getting there. I'll give them some props. They've um, lifted up. But Publix has been doing You have to realize a lot of my family lives in Lakeland, Florida, and that's where Publix is from. Oh, okay. So it's a big deal in my family, and you really do get stellar. And I'm Italian, so I need my meat shaved. I need boar's head. That's one thing I don't skip money on. Right. my lunch meat and my sandwiches. Does does your does your deli guy know your order? Like when you roll up, is he already... No. It's a Publix, man. There's too many, too, many, too many different guys? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no. I don't know. When, when my kids were little, I figured that those Kroger ladies would always offer my kid a cookie. And mm. You know what I mean? I feel like they, they, they can get to know if you go. No, enough. they have great customer service at Publix, but nah. Yeah, they don't remember me too much. And again, I do do Instacart sometimes. So, you know, that goes into that Instacart thing. Right. Um, how do you rank the Atlanta sports teams in importance to you? If you like Braves, Falcons, United Hawks, like who is the most and least important to you in that range? All right. I got to be honest with you. I'm not a big sports guy. I love sports movies. I love the idea of sports, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I it's love funny the, because the idea of sports. No, I do. I, I played sports when I was a kid when I realized, hey, dude, I'm not going to be over five, five, you know, then I kind of figured, you know, I didn't really have a career in it. Like maybe music is a better move. For yeah. Me. Yeah. So, but you know, something that still rings true to me is um, the Braves. I don't know why, just going to a few games with my pops when I was a kid. And still, I just love going to a ballpark, having a freaking hot dog, even if they're expensive now and it's crazy, having some nachos. It's just an experience and it makes me feel happy. All right. Um, So this one will be interesting for you. Uh, What is the best concert you have ever seen in Atlanta? Oh, man, I am... I'm a little spoiled because like I told you, Lollapalooza is probably... 
And then Dave Matthews is just one of my ultimates. That guy just puts on one heck of a show. So do you remember what year or venue specifically? No, dude. That's when I was doing a lot of acid when I was a kid. Um, it's funny that you say no hard drugs. I consider acid pretty hard. Oh, dude. Well, that was a hippie drug, you know, and I quit a long time ago. I've been, you know, I haven't done anything but Bud Light, man, for like five, seven years, and I've been cleaning off all drugs for like 17 or something. But, um, but let's see. You know, I got to tell you, you know who really blew me away? And it's not because it's my show. I was not prepared for this. It's not because I, you know, throw this show every year because this is for the community. It's not a me thing. As Arrested Development is insane. I was so blown away by them last year that I was just like, what? Because I had them driving and crying and Cracker, two pretty stellar bands and driving and crying, you know, are Atlanta Sweethearts. And so is Speech and Many Rights, but... I just I was blown away by him, man. Yeah, they played one of the Lollapaloozas, didn't they? Well, probably. I don't know. You'd have to look back, man. They've done a lot, but I was really blown away from. And I like local bands, man. Like I'll be honest with you, like some of my favorite bands are more of um, the regional acts, like you know, Guru Fish and Bumpin' the Mango and uh, Funk Cake. A lot. I really am really into horns. Yeah, I like horns. It's so funny, and I mentioned that band that you don't remember. I'm dying to find these guys. I'm gonna have to make it my mission. Yeah, it's weird just because I have horns in my band, you know, and I have violin and all that, you know, we got like an eight piece. And so I've always been really attracted to um, that style of music with kind of the harmonies and everything like that. I right. can kind of like it. I wouldn't say big band music, but pretty big band music. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and so how often are you playing these days yourself? Oh, man, not as much lately, man. After COVID, I kind of, you know, I just really haven't got the steam to go up. I went full fledged in the merger with Fodak. Um, and so a few times a year, you know, like we do it now, we all get together. All my players are like professional players. So they're on the road a lot. They're doing their thing. So we get together a few times a year just because we're like best buddies and the band's great and we still do stuff and record and stuff. But, you know, we're not trying to be rock stars. Right. We're not trying to go out there and tour and make a living off of it. It's not our gig. Right. You know, we're having fun with it. It's their gig full time, but not my gig. Uh, when the shows are actually happening, so this one that's coming up, uh, are you super chill, super stressed, somewhere in the middle? Um, I am actually, don't talk to me a day before show, but like there's a switch. It's kind of like when I get on stage, there's a switch that goes off in my head that I get very, almost eerily calm. Um, I just get very calm, like almost no expression on my face until about 10 that night. And then I have my first beer at 10 night. Because you know it's almost over? Or? Yeah. Like, I just, you know, it's, I, I like to be aware of everything that's going on. I'm not at a festival. You know, we're doing this for a community of people. I don't want to be a, a, a drunkard right. um, over there. We deal with enough, of, you know, there's people at shows. So, um, but yeah, when I get to actually sit back and unwind and go, all right, it's almost done and just have that first beer, dude. Right. I'm like, all right, we did it. And when I start seeing how much money we raise and if it's a good, and I'm never happy. Of course. With how much money we raise, even though we're doing great, but I'm just never happy with it. So, but that's, I'm, I do okay with it, man. I don't do bad with it. So you're, you're definitely worse the day before. I am. I'm a little neurotic, but this year's a lot better. I don't know this year. I guess I've been doing it for so, for so long and for a while. And now being a Fodak, there's just this great team of people that work here and they're all pitching and help. I never really had that before. Like people try to help me, like Whitney and all that, but they didn't really know anything, and they don't who, go who? to Music Fest over there. Whitney, the person I used to work with at Dementia Spotlight, they they all tried to help and Gary, but it was really hard because we were only four people in a nonprofit here. You know, God bless, we have 
you know, 40 something employees and, you know, right. But they've got their regular duties, right? Yeah. But they all come out and we all pitch in like a family and just, and just make it happen. Yeah. We all pitch in like a family, man. Everybody gets together and makes team. Team makes a dream work, as they say. <laughs> so is the goal then to continue to do more shows or attract bigger names, or what do you kind of see it long term? Um, you know, again, I'm trying. I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's not crossing my brain about doing it, but I don't want to get it too big. Like, I mean, I would really think a 2,400 venue would be our last stop, and we would grow to more states. I really want to see this in more states. I like inside venues. I'm not big fans of outside because there's too many things that can go wrong. Inside venues are more intimate. So the people that are caregivers are there for resources. They get to know each other, and they hopefully can find a village. Because if anybody has been through this disease, the best people you can learn from are the people that are living it with you. That's the best resources you can get. So to bring those kind of people together is really my thing. So I don't know. We're looking at a few bands next year, which I'm not going to say. Uh, I'm Die Hard. I love my Cracker. They've been great. They've played three times with their Arrested Development's played two times with us. Cowboy Mouth, again, is a new one. They've been great so far and been really supportive about everything we're doing and touched by it. So I just got to look at next year. But, yeah, there's, there's some people that have actually reached out lately that I'm pretty excited about. I just I don't know if we're actually ready for that yet. Right. All right. The final question I always ask is, who should I have next on the Atlanta podcast? Who should you have on next? Mm, I think Glenn Phillips would be. Okay. Glenn Phillips. I could give you his number. Okay. Um, he's a friend. He's been around the music injuries, uh, industry for so long. He's truly mentored me through the years. Um, I mean, again, goes back to that Colonel Bruce Hampton. Um, he's played with the B-52s. He has his own... He, he's like Frank Zappa, dude, when you play this guy playing. I mean, I don't know how. He's in good shape, but he's got to be in his 70s. Wow. And close to it. And he... Dude, he just has this knowledge. He's like the mayor of Buford, Georgia. <laughs> you know? He doesn't even mean to be. And I love these cats. You, I, there's something that I really... I love learning from your elders. And they really um, teach you so much if you keep your ears open and your eyes open. All right, I lied. I have one more question. Where'd you get these shoes? I like these comfy shoes. All right, yeah. If anybody knows, I went from my Converse <laughs> to finally went from my Converse to flip flops. Okay. And then when it gets cold, then I found a pair of shoes called Hey Dudes that feel <laughs> like wearing flip flops year round. They are very lightweight. And they're just so easy. And I think Hey Dudes are becoming a thing. Well, this is an audio medium, obviously, but I'm telling you from where I'm sitting, they look super comfy. Yeah, they're super cool. And it's like wearing a freaking sock. And it's just, but it has actually art support. <laughs> and, and I love it. And you're not sponsored by them. This is just a no, product. this is really, I just like the shoes. You can get the generic ones. You know, on Amazon, they're about $10 cheaper. Okay. They're about $60 pair. You have 54 bucks. I mean, they're not horribly, buy Converse for about the same nowadays. Right. All right, man. Well, I'm glad we got to do this. Well, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it, buddy. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Vince. Once again, that show is February 4th, 2023. We will include the links here. But as I said, if you missed the link, just Google Alzheimer's Music Fest in Atlanta. Uh, It's, it's, as I said, being held at the Bucket Theater. Join them for a fun-filled evening and rock out for a great cause. Much-needed funds for families living with Alzheimer's and dementia. Go to FODOC.org and learn more about how they serve caregivers of all different walks of life and the dementia community. Thanks again for listening. Uh, As I said, Big Mike coming up. Love you, miss you, mean it. I have got to run.